0: Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I got a great one here today with my friend, Matt Soloy. He is an economist uh, formerly with the AVMA and now with the Veterinary Management Groups. Uh, We get into the economic forces that are driving our profession right now. Yes, we talk about corporate consolidation. Yes, we talk about private equity money coming into the profession. Yes, we talk about How are these uh, prices on vet practices justified and how do people plan to make money with this? We talk 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 about rising salaries for doctors and paraprofessionals. We both think that they're great and they're really good. How do they make economic sense? And also, does this mean absolutely 100% that prices are going to have to go up for pet owners? We talk about the fact that the cost of care is increasing by about 10% a year for pet owners. That's a lot. Is that how it has to be? Is that how it's going to be? And finally, we talk about inflation and the possible recession coming up. Uh, What do we need to know? How is it going to affect us here in the trenches in medicine? Guys, this is a great episode. If you're interested in any of those things, stick around. Matt is super fun, and I'm really glad he talked to us. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame
1: with Dr. Andy
0: Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Matt Saloith. How are you? I'm doing great, Andy. Great to see you. It's great to see you as well. Thanks for being here. For those who do not know you, you, uh, you introduce yourself as husband, father, <laughs> economist, in that order. Uh, and I think that's wonderful. You have been uh, an, an economist for the AVMA. You are currently with the uh, veterinary management groups. You uh, you are someone who is really known in our industry for having insight in, as an economist. I put out a, uh, a social media post uh, a couple of weeks back and said, hey, what is the best lecture that you have seen Ooh. and who gave it and you came up no on that way. list. <laughs> uh, yes, you did. You were on the list oh. of people that I should talk to and so oh, wow. take that as the high praise that it should be is that someone had heard you speak and and honestly your name came up a couple of times and so I was like, well, "Let's get Matt on here." And uh, and I want to talk to you about today about veterinary economics yeah. and the general state of finance in, in vet medicine this is something I'm really really interested in um, I I think a lot of us have kind of taken in the economic position of our profession piecemeal and I, I'm kind of hoping sure. you can paint me a more clear picture of what are the major forces and how they're fitting together and, and I think I think I would benefit from that and I think there's a lot of other people who would really love to have that clarity
1: does that sound okay yeah, that, that sounds great. And, you know, with that praise, I hopefully live up to expectations there and uh, no pressure. offer that clarity. And I, and I got to tell you, I feel like I've made it being on your your podcast. It's really an honor. So appreciate it, Andy. Thank you. Oh, thanks for saying that. No, I, I'm,
0: uh, thanks for saying that. Okay. Let me sort of set set the stage here. I think most of us in the, in the profession are looking around at these big sort of macroeconomic trends that maybe we don't totally understand or understand how they fit together. So the big things that I'm looking at that I just want to sort of crack the ice with you about is, um, uh, increase in corporate ownership of practices. We are seeing this as yes. an ongoing trend. More practices are, are coming under the ownership of, of corporations. We're hearing a lot about private equity money coming into vet medicine, and I think a lot of us sure. don't necessarily know what private equity is compared to corporate ownership or what's what that's like. And then we see right. the we see practice practices selling. At huge value. So, you know, 20 times their earnings, and veterinarians right. can't borrow enough money to buy practices. And, and a lot of the people, I think, I think I just want to start at that level and say, can you paint me a picture of what's happening as far as ownership of practices and how that's going and what's driving that?
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a good question and, and a lot to dig it's into. It's a big there. question. I know you it's know, big, but it's a big, yeah. It's big. And it, I think it's a cascade of trends that we've seen evolve over time. And we could say this with a lot of different things. I think one of the things that, that COVID escalated was this, this consolidation in our industry. Um, COVID escalated a lot of things and moved us fast mm-hmm. forward in, in a lot of different directions in different areas of our lives. And this was one area I think most relevant for, for veterinary medicine. And there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, you know, a few I'll touch on here and we can dig into some of the other areas is, animal health veterinary medicine has proved itself in the past to be recession resilient. Um, and that's mm-hmm. very attractive to to investors across private equity and, and other aspects of of investing because uh, in periods of economic downturn or sluggishness, uh, investors and those with with cash are looking to continue to propagate returns on on, on their money. Um, and veterinary medicine, animal health continues to demonstrate that they are resilient amongst some of those economic headwinds versus other industries so it's very attractive from that perspective okay other areas i think is just the the growth of animal health and veterinary medicine over time we continue to see the population of pets expand we've continued to see demand for veterinary services and pet care expand and again from an investor perspective that that's really attractive now to your point multipliers I remember gosh seems like 2018, 2019 was a lifetime ago though. But I remember having conversations yes. with practice owners around multiples and they were talking six, seven, and that seemed absurdly high at the time. And we were saying that won't last. It'll come down. And like you said, 20 is not out of the realm of, of, of question here. We, we've seen that. We've experienced that. Um, and so it just shows, I think, the cascade of these trends. They've amplified, particularly in this current environment that, that COVID created, which really shot us fast forward on this evolution of consolidation, which keep in mind, this is not unique to veterinary medicine. It's, it's a natural tendency for a lot of markets and industries to, to, con, to consolidate over time. And you see this in airlines, you see this in healthcare and pharmaceuticals, um, you, you see this in automobiles, a lot of different markets and industries do this over time. So there's something very natural about it from, a, from an economic perspective. It's, it's not an aberration, it's nothing weird or, or, or wrong. Um, the the last point I'll make about this, and I, and I believe, I believe this a number of years ago, I still believe it today is that there is room for veterinary practices of of all size, of all types, um, of all types of ownership. And I still think that independent practice ownership, um, there's room for that now and in the future. Um, and aspects and definitions of ownership are changing as well. Um, there's independent hundred percent ownership, but there's aspects around equity ownership that, that are new in our profession, or at least new in the last several years. Um, and we can't dismiss those because those are important avenues of ownership as well.
0: Oh, I completely agree. And I, I don't think independent ownership is going away. M- my my position as I, I like to say, the future of vet medicine is fragmented, which means there will be big corporate groups and there will also be tiny little mom and pop groups and there will be mobile vets and there will be hospice vets and there will be people who very much make their own way and own their own thing. I don't think that's going away. I am super pro entrepreneur inside of vet medicine. And that doesn't just mean for veterinarians. I I just, I, I, Yeah. Anyway, as a as an entrepreneur, in in ways, someone who has a job that didn't exist before, I made it. uh, it, I don't see that going away. I think there's a lot of opportunities. So I love that. Can you talk to me a little bit? I I think the first question I have in this is, help me understand how a company paying twenty times the amount that a practice earns. Makes any sort of financial sense. So for those of us who just sort of came up and uh, you know we 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 made money and we paid our bills, you go, I, yeah. this practice will never earn enough money to justify what it was sold for. How does that work? And so can you just lay down that sort of financial
1: groundwork? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it all comes down to uh, beliefs and the opportunity to grow that practice and and expand um, the profitability and and the economic performance of that of that practice. Um, and that's why you see a lot of that, that sweet spot and purchase being in some of these medium size, uh, practices there, uh, where there's still an opportunity to, to grow them into, into larger practices. And that, that's, that's the lucrative part around this. It's not just the current state of earnings and, and profitability of that practice. It's the future state that these investors are most interested in. And they have different time horizons. Investors will be very, uh, diverse here in that regard. Some are looking for a two to three year return. Some are in it for the longer haul, looking at things five, 10 years out. Uh, but the outcome is the same. The question that they're asking themselves is the same as if I buy this now at today's price, what can I yeah. then make a profit on when I, when I sell this three, five, 10 years out? And that's, that's a lot of the end goal of a lot of private equity there is they'll buy a private enterprise, they'll invest in it, they'll grow it, and then they're looking to sell it for a return in the not too distant future. With that not too distant being very subjective depending on the investor. Correct.
0: Yeah. Do you think that that so? Okay, I hear what you're saying. Do you think that that's that that's that's feasible? Can Can you really buy this practice and then and again we're speaking in broad generalities? I know, but but is it possible to buy yeah. this practice and say I'm going to pay ten times what this thing earns and I'm going to grow it to the point that that makes sense? I I go that type of growth especially when it's hard extremely hard to hire veterinarians and things like that sure. that oh, seems so yeah. difficult to me i've always thought that that this was supposed to make economic sense in rolling these practice sort of together and taking them all eventually all the way up to where they're you know uh, a publicly traded yeah. company something like that and i go okay i exactly. can i can keep pushing these things up until until they have uh, they have stock that people can buy and 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 the level of of return on that can actually justify this but it just the idea of, of buying practices at what they're going for now and trying to grow to grow them to be profitable enough to justify that boy I really struggle with that am I am I off base here? <laughs> you're,
1: <laughs> no you're not alone I mean I'm an economist here and sometimes I, I struggle with it which is why I didn't make a career as an investor I made a career as an economist. Uh, Particularly in this, right? And you don't know many billionaire economists. At least I don't either. So I don't know. Take that with a grain <laughs> of salt for what it's worth. Uh, but you know that it's a really relevant and 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 pointed uh, question because I think a lot of people are are perplexed. And I'll say, you know, growth can come in, in different ways. I mean, I think the traditional ways you look at growth and you say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna build and expand. I'm gonna add doctors. I'm gonna build more patients into the practice. And that's how we're going to grow. We're going to grow that top line growth through revenue. But there's an equal opportunity in the bottom line growth around creating a more high performing enterprise that maybe you're not necessarily growing that top line revenue, but you see opportunities in the bottom line to make a more efficient, productive business. And if you can make the right investments and make it leaner and smarter, you're, you're still generating a, a, a growth in profit. And then the dual win-win comes when you can do both at the same time. That's why you see a lot of mergers and acquisitions is, yes, they see that opportunity to grow the market through demand, but they're also looking at, hey, if we can combine companies and create synergies, we can create a more efficient enterprise and grow through the demand side as well. And that's where a lot of that, that economic opportunity comes from.
0: When we start looking at, at sort of other economic forces that that we're seeing in the profession like we're seeing um, a rapid increase in salaries of uh, paraprofessionals which it's, I think is super yeah. great um, I, I like to see those things go up Veterinarians especially we have good data on on new graduates coming out of school and taking their first job and boy those salaries are are going up I mean they're in the six figures you know right out of the gates and that, that hasn't been the case in the past and so I'm looking at those things. Do you see those trends being related to, tied to the type of consolidation or things that we're talking about? Or is that an independent wave that's going through just based on on completely different things
1: it's related and first i gotta say i saw a tail so immediately like yeah. a squirrel i'm distracted yeah, no, I'm i love sorry. it i hope the dog pops up there it no no, i love it i hope one of my it wasn't cats my comes tail it wasn't
0: yeah it wasn't <laughs> my tail it's uh it's my it's my wingman oh, goodness. Coming i was through.
1: worried for a minute there you, you uh, may hear a squirrel in a minute i hope i do um it, it's related <laughs> i I, I think what's driving a lot of that wage growth right now is what you mentioned before around um, the, the, the labor shortage and the very tight labor market we're, we're in. And again, this is one of those things that I would say COVID pushed fast forward. We were in a tight labor market even before the pandemic. And again, I'll bring up anecdotes around asking practice owners before COVID what your biggest challenge is. And, and they would say hiring or recruiting. And a lot of times it was more around finding the right fit Rather than just finding somebody, uh, and now it's just trying to get a warm body in, into the practice, uh, whether it's a, a credential technician or or, or a DVM. Um, and this is one of those areas that I often will remind everyone to look at both sides of the situation we're in with the labor market, because we talk a lot about it from the employer side and and the woes of of hiring, and that is concerning mm-hmm. because there are some growth barriers that are in place when you can't when you can't hire. Uh, people to fill your business and grow that business. Uh, but it's a different story when you are on the labor market, yeah, and one mm-hmm. that we we can't we can't dismiss, right? And so you know there's a great article I read it, it it was it's out last year. good news, there's a labor shortage. It's still really relevant even though it seems like the world is ever changing and last September feels like a lifetime ago. but it's a really written by an economist from MIT, really accessible, um, very digestible. And just a reminder, remember when you're looking at the labor market, there's two sides of it. There's a demand for labor, which are your employers. And then there's a supply of labor, which which you, me, everybody are participants in yeah. that. And, and we need to be mindful of that side because exactly what you said, what we've seen here through scarcity of labor now more than ever has been an elevation of wages and earnings that quite frankly fell behind in, in many ways, depending on the industry. And veterinary me- medicine was one of them. If you If you look at earnings of veterinarians in real terms, accounting for inflation, Post-2008 recession, whether you believe it or not, the market responded as if there was a glut of veterinarians. And so wages and earnings of veterinarians was actually falling for a number of years after the recession. And it wasn't until around 2015 or 16 that they started to climb up again. And when you look at the trend line, and the visuals are always the most impactful when you see this, when you look at the trend line of the trajectory earnings for average veterinarian was on, pre-08 recession. It wasn't until around 2020, 2021 that it was actually finally starting to reach that trend line again. And so, yes, they've been rising. What I remind everyone is this, we've been on a 10-year market correction journey for quite a while when you go back to that trend line. And and secondly, remember, we're in an environment of inflation. So we have to ask ourselves too, is are, are those increases in earnings making up for the increase in expenses there? Because that takes a toll out of your real spending power. And and yes, if your earnings are rising 6% per year, that's wonderful, but if the average cost of everything is rising at 10%, your real income is actually declining. That does make sense.
0: If you uh, dream of doing team training with your team, getting your people together, getting them on the same page, talking about uh, how you guys work together in your practice, I'd love to help you. You can check out DrAndyWork.com and check out the store. I have two different team training courses. These are courses for teams to do together to get on the same page and to talk about how you do do things. I have my uh, Angry Clients course and I have my Exam Room Toolkit course and uh, they are both available and there, check them out. All right, guys, let's get back into this episode. When we see these sorts of uh, increases in, in salary that that are sort of matching up, sort of with inflationary uh, inflationary pressures as well, but but I see paraprofessional sal- s- salaries going up, and I personally felt that yeah. they've been way underpaid. I, you know, I'm really I, I love how you say look at on both sides and from both directions because I'm, I'm an employer, and then also I I am an employee. I'm I'm a, an associate vet, uh, and uh, and I look at. at Technicians and other doctors, and say, you know, this has to, this kind of has to work for everybody. And so, I'm a big fan of balance. and And i i hear yeah. the I hear the fears of especially independent practice owners who are going, we need to be competitive, and we need to find this money to pay these people. And there's not, I, I, I will. If you want to see me quickly reject a theory, uh, tell me that vet, that greedy vet <laughs> practice owners have been sitting on piles of money that they have not been paying their staff. And I will I will be done with the conversation because that's 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 just not true. And it's not it's not all yeah. what I've seen. It's always I've I've always seen veterinarians doing their best to keep the business going and to take care of their people while keeping prices low and care affordable for pet owners. That's really the balance yeah. and the challenging thing. And so here we are and we have the price of practices going up and we have salaries going up I got to tell you, Matt, I, I, I have concerns and I talk about this with a lot of different guests in a lot of different ways about, does this mean that a significant increase in the cost of care is inevitable oh, yeah. for pet owners?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I, I love what you just said. And there were so many great things that you just touched on. I'm going to try and see if my 40 plus year old brain can keep up with what you just laid out <laughs> there. But uh, uh, you know, first, I want to touch on the 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 support professionals and our okay. our credential technicians and and practice managers and all of it because you're right we've seen wages and earnings for them particularly escalate in the last you know 12 months rise in a way that they've needed to and i have to ask myself as an economist you know ne- never in the last 12 to 18 months have we probably saw as much in the trade literature and had conversations around fairly paid technicians and others. And I have to wonder, would we have had those conversations if it wasn't for COVID and for the labor market situation that we're in? And this is one of those things where good news, there's a labor shortage, because finally you start to realize the the opportunity that these types of professionals provide and the need to economically uh, um, uh, reward them in a way that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yet to your point as well, it's challenging around the markets—they all compete with one another. So a technician doesn't have to stay in veterinary medicine. If there's an right. economic opportunity that's better, they can they can work elsewhere. My wife—do do you travel much on the road? Do you take much, many road trips, Andy, with you or your family? I
0: I have geared down, since the pandemic. I I have intentionally geared down. But boy, there was a there was a in 2016. I think was the most I traveled. I was on the road about 125 days
1: out of the year. Oh, wow. That's, that's intense. My family, my wife and my family live in Florida. We live in Illinois. So we like to take road trips down there to see them. And we're still old school. We drive, but we encountered, but I took a picture. There's this, uh, I call it a gas station. It's so much more it's called Bucky's and there's Bucky, the beaver that you go on these billboards and you see him. And there's just like these massive havens, like these gorgeous restrooms, right? Which you wouldn't think of that for a rest stop and like hundreds of different kinds of beef jerky, the, the beaver, Bucky, the beaver is around like a Disney character greeting people. It's just an amazing experience. And she sent me a sign inside one of the Bucky's. She finally decided to stop and see what all this was about. Cause we've driven by it for years and never gone in. And then there was a sign. It was an employment opportunity, recruiting staff line workers, thirty dollars an hour. And I th- saw that and I thought, Wow! So here we are, not to trivialize, yeah. you know, Bucky's or or gas stations no. and rest stops, but that that how wonderful. But it demonstrates the the scarcity of labor in a really critical way. And and it just for me technicians they're recruiting everywhere inside outside veterinary medicine we have to be not just competitive for ourselves in veterinary medicine, but we got to be competitive across other opportunities that technicians managers and all the, the, the support professionals have available outside veterinary medicine so it's it's so critically important um, And then the last the third piece in your comment around the affordability we absolutely, have to keep that front and center. Typically, what we saw historically, the average cost of veterinary care was rising about 3% ish a year, uh, pretty much in, in in tune with national inflation. You know, the average practice might be look like that. Other practices might be different depending on what they were doing with their pricing strategies. But now we're looking at nine, 10% increase in average, uh, veterinary services. And this is data coming from, from, um, I've seen from vet success that they've shared before at industry conferences. And, you know, the rule of 72, which is an old rule, but if you ever heard it, it you know, at a, at a 7.2% interest rate in 10 years, the price of something doubles. Yeah. Uh, and so here we are above that, and we're looking at the, the price of veterinary services in an average way, more than doubling, right, in 10 years. And yeah. that that's concerning, right? And this, to me, when you look at the the, the matter of the labor shortage – this is really important because when we think about strategically what we need to do as a profession to address these issues, if we, and I know we need more, we need more DVMs, we need more technicians, and we needed them more before COVID. But if we respond to the shortage by, you know, opening the floodgates and, and rapidly expanding the supply of professionals, we all know the biggest cost center in any veterinary practice is its labor for good reason. I mean, most mm-hmm. most businesses yeah. are, like, are like that, but- all health professions are like that because these are highly trained educated professionals that deliver complicated services but that's going to go directly into providing a, a or raising a barrier to the affordability of care which has to be on our minds and and it, right. and I think it is but it's one that we've got to be really careful about in terms of what we do in our profession how we respond to this tight labor market we're in and balancing that with the affordability of care so that pet care and more Specifically, veterinary care doesn't become um, for the elite only. That access to yeah. all remains because it's so important. Yeah, that that's
0: really important to me. Is is that I, I do not want to make I do not want to make pet ownership classist. I, I I don't want to make it so that um so that only only people with with significant resources can have pets. That that, that bothers me at a moral fundamental level. Help me understand this from an economic standpoint. It is... is how unique is veterinary medicine this way? Okay. Because I think a lot about, like, I understand basic economics and supply and demand. And I, I, trust me, I, I get that stuff. Is there, uh, are there other industries out there, really, that, um, that are deeply focused on keeping their product accessible to as many people as possible? So, for example, let, let me just let, let's magic wand. And we as a profession are no longer doing pet healthcare, we're selling uh, high end cars. where well, you go, okay. We have more work than we can do. We're, you know, we have our, the demand for our services is through the roof and growing. We can't get enough laborers. The obvious answer is you just raise the price. You raise the price of your service until, until the demand is pressed down enough that you have enough supply. To meet that demand, so when supply is down uh, the demand goes up uh when the demand goes up, you know we we, inc- we can increase prices and try to bring that down, but we morally because we don't sell high end cars, we sell pets, mm-hmm. I am unwilling to just turn that knob and increase the price of my services until the demand falls down to a place that we can meet it. Uh, is that as big an anomaly as I imagine it being, or is that more common in other industries than i'm that i 'm that I'm thinking of
1: <laughs> uh I think you're a, you're a hidden economist, Andy, here. There's, (laughs) you you get it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Uh, I wish I was a hidden veterinarian, but I am not, uh, at all. Um, I just work in veterinary medicine, uh, which I love. Uh, yes. So a lot of commonalities I'd say, I mean, a lot, the market we're in is, is in many ways similar to a lot of other markets, particularly other healthcare markets. Right. But I think there are some differences here that are worth, um, drawing out. And, you know, a, a, another funny anecdote, one of them is this, and, and I was drawing parallels to the dental industry and the dental profession with a, a good friend and, and colleague, Dr. Peter Weinstein. And we mm-hmm. were trading um, thoughts and ideas and, you know, we were differing on something. I can't remember what it was, but he said, Matt, Peter likes to argue. He he, he likes, he's been on the show many times. He, he, he does. He take
0: your position and be contrary to it.
1: And he's good at it, right? Uh, which yeah, is why exactly. I like to argue with them in a friendly way. And he said, "Matt, here's the difference: nothing dies in a dental practice." And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Nothing. Nothing does. Hopefully, not right. Um, but we are dealing with with lives here, and 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 lives are saved in a veterinary practice. Not to be overly dramatic, and the connection that people have with their pets. Is, is visceral and it's real and it's tangible. We saw that now more than ever throughout the course of the pandemic. Um, and like you said, we're, we're not a market selling um, uh, McLarens here. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know I've seen a McLaren on the road, but I know they exist. Um, there are few things as ubiquitous as pet ownership in the United States. It is right. ubiquitous. Um, and, and that has to, that has to matter. And so it doesn't mean that within veterinary medicine that you can't cater or define a niche, whether it's affordable veterinary care or some posh elite service that's that's catering to the the wealthy and and the elite. There's nothing wrong with that. The challenge becomes when the market is dedicated to servicing an an economic, a sole ladder on the economic ladder of, of society. And that's problematic because of the ubiquity of pet ownership.
0: Okay. That, yeah, that,
1: that makes, that makes sense to me.
0: Looking, looking into your crystal ball and saying, okay, these are the market forces that we're looking at. How pet owners continue to afford services? I I think that there's, I think there's two pieces of this, right? Like how do we keep services affordable? But I think that, I think they're destined to go up because everything is kind of going up. Is the only answer uh, to move into an insurance model or are there other economic models that in other industries uh, have provided some relief and kept in and kept goods and services affordable?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. And, and you know, I think two sides of it, right? What can the pet owner do, and then what yeah. can we do as organized veterinary medicine to support more affordable veterinary care? And and you you named it from the pet owner side, you know, exploring options like like pet insurance, um, wellness care plans, uh, budgeting for veterinary care like you would um, groceries or or mortgage. Um, You know, the behavior aspects of this, as an economist to me, say people will always be challenged to do that, right? Um, Savings, for example, Uh, American households have never saved as they've needed to uh, in order Mm -hmm. to have, you know, uh, the great retirement that we all dream of. So there there are some significant behavioral challenges there and putting it on on the pet owner. But there are definitely things the pet owner can do um, to manage um, the cost of veterinary care. Um, from, a, from the perspective of the profession, there are things that, that, that we can do. And, you know, I think we could take another hour for, for that question alone. But if anyone's heard me talk, knows that I'm a big proponent and advocate for efficiency and productivity, and, and, and it is the saving grace. And, I, and I've learned to be careful in touching on that concept because rightfully so, you know, a veterinarian may remind me of, don't tell me to be more productive. I've never worked harder in my life. And it's so true. Oh, yeah. And it's so true. Um, and here's the tragic irony around inefficiency is that it's hidden and you don't often see it. And you can work harder but not get more done if you're facing barriers to productivity that remain hidden and out of sight. And, and I think COVID was a good reminder of that, that we saw barriers to productivity um, come up. Curbside care, deep cleaning exam rooms between patient visits, only allowing a certain number of of patients and clients in 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 an office in a hospital um so many things and some of these things have come and gone and some some things have lingered um and and that took a hit effectively to the average number of patients that a that a hospital or a typical full-time DBM could see in, in a given hour or a given week and the way that you compensate for low productivity is you work longer hours and you burn your people out and i think that's what we're seeing here is that that burnout be pushed out even further because we're having to work harder to accommodate these, these barriers to efficiency so i kin it to this you know we the average veterinary professional was used to running a mile on a treadmill and could do that and wake up early in the morning and run that mile on the treadmill and be fine barely break a sweat because they were proficient they were good at it and then covid came and took them off that treadmill and put them on the beach where it's a lot harder to run that mile and they're being asked to run a little bit further because of the demand increases that we saw for veterinary care. And by the way, there's COVID and a pandemic and everything else. So it's like you're running that extra mile and there's a hurricane throwing heavy wind and rain on you. you. It's a miserable (laughs) situation, right? So what improving efficiency and productivity does is take you off that caustic stormy beach and back onto the treadmill that you know, and you love and you're proficient at. And that's why it's so important to focus on that.
0: Yeah, I, li- I like that. I think that's a great answer. Uh, you know, the idea that that we can be more efficient and, and there are systems for productivity that we can put in place. I'm a huge believer in that. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm an optimistic person, but I also believe in innovation and ingenuity. Uh, I think that there are things yes. that we can do to do this better and make it work not just sorry prices are going to keep going up and we're going to keep doing exactly right. what we're doing and are going to have to figure it out whether it's insurance or savings or whatever i i very much think that you're you're right on it as far as you know in the history of humankind we have continually figured out how to do it better how to make things more accessible how to how to make things work and so that's that's what i needed to hear that yeah. that that leaves me with a smile on my face as as you look in, <laughs> into your crystal ball here and i, I will i want to wrap up on this you know, we have yeah. uh, we have increased inflation. We have the Fed is raising interest rates and making, uh, you know, uh, the cost of borrowing money higher and things to sort of try to slow things down. It's uh, If it's a recession that we're in, it's a weird recession. Um, yeah. Where do you see this going in vet medicine? Uh, if you had to sort of go on record and say, you know, uh, 12 to 18 months out from here, this is kind of some of the changes that I expect that we'll be feeling. What would those be?
1: Yeah, you know, I think, I'd say, don't worry so much about it.
0: Um, I like that. There are a couple so of
1: reasons. Part of it is what what will come, what will come. Um, yeah. And I'm a big believer in worrying about those things that are in your circle of influence and those things that are not, do not. But it doesn't mean don't be prepared, right? Sure. Uh, and headlines always have a way of heightening emotions. And, and that's the purpose of, of headlines, I think, is to, to grab you, your attention and get you to read it. And Yeah. Get an emotional response but i think you know are we in a recession or not it's it's not the right question that we're asking ourselves um, for for a couple of reasons and while we've seen two straight quarters of negative growth and that's sort of the formal definition of, of, a, of a recession uh, negative growth in our gross domestic product gdp um, those numbers are always preliminary and they won't even be formal numbers for at least another six to nine months so we won't even know whether it's true um, for for that amount of time Um, but we're in a really different situation than a lot of other previous recessions in some way that leaves most economists scratching their head is we've got this, this slowing economic growth that we're seeing, but we've got this red hot labor market that that's at play here. And we've never, we've never, we've never experienced that. And so typically when you think about an economic downturn, like a recession or something Mm -hmm. worse, that's always matched with an inability to find a job. And, and yep. declining wages and earnings, right? And we're not really seeing that. Yes, we've got inflation, and that's an issue we need to be really focused on that. And the Fed is doing that, which is which is great. The Federal Reserve. Um, but I would I would say w- whether or not we're in a re- recession is not the most relevant question because of that reason. Um, are you gainfully employed? Are you worried about losing your job? Um, are you worried about your your earnings falling, your household income falling? I, mean, I think those are the relevant questions there. and And the other thing to remind everybody is that we're in a weird re- weird situation in our economy. Never have we been in something like this. Um, what others have called slowing growth, well, or or negative growth, I call it slowing, stabilizing, normalizing is probably the word I most prefer is We saw these epic um rises and demand, veterinary services, and just economic growth generally last year resulting from from the pandemic. And what we have to remind ourselves is those, those epic highs were never intended or meant to last. They were artificial for a number of reasons. Um, pent-up demand drove increased demand in 2021 because people couldn't spend in 2020. So they were in 2021. Economic stimulus, three major payments went out in 2021, giving households a lot of extra cash. Um, and so that was driving. it, And then people were spending more time at home. And this was a big factor with veterinary care. Uh, but people are returning to work more normally. And so pairing back on some of that spending because it's, it's less front of mind there. And so we're kind of in this what others have called the everything is weird economy. Um, and mm-hmm. I've heard it called the pinched hose economy, too. So if you think about, uh, you know, if you ever as a kid and you pinched a hose, you tight. And then, you know, the water built up and you let it go and yeah. the hose would, would flap about. That's kind of what our economy has been doing. It got pinched because of COVID, then let go. And we're working through all of this pent up economic activity here that's creating volatility. A lot of it's cyclical, um, which is hard to see when you're experiencing it now. But we're going to be able to reflect back in 18 to 24 months and say, I remember that. That was crazy. But things yeah. are more normal now
0: yeah that man all of that makes so much sense i really love the the pinched hose uh metaphor I, that that really works for me man that's perfect that really makes me feel good um i i i think there's a lot of wisdom there i i'm going to have to sit and process that a little bit i am going yeah. to track down uh Good news, there's a labor shortage. I'll put a link in the show notes for those who want to see it. Uh, Other resources that you recommend just in general for understanding economics or economics in in veterinary medicine?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I won't take credit for that pinched toes economy. Someone else wrote that. You can Google it. And there's a great article talking about that as well. Very accessible and digestible. Um, uh, I like Inside Economics. It's a great podcast if you're willing to invest the, the time. Um, a funny bunch of, of, of economists, uh, come together and, uh, have a, have a deep dive on, on different economic issues, lots of other resources out there. Um, but, um, I would just say find what you like and that's accessible and enjoy listening and reading yeah. to it. Um, and if you don't move on to the next one, that's, that's awesome. Matt,
0: where can, uh, where can people find you online if they want to see some of the stuff that you're writing and things that you're doing?
1: Yeah. Oh, thanks. Uh, if you want to see pictures of cats and kids and food, I have an Instagram account that's probably of no interest. Uh, but uh, I, I try to be active on, on LinkedIn as well, uh, posting thoughts about veterinary medicine, uh, economics more generally, um, and you know, an occasional uh, bad dad joke here and there too. Oh, that's, I'm, I'm going to tune in for that. Matt, thanks so much for being here. Guys, take care of yourselves
0: and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Thank you so much. Great being here.
0: And that is our show, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. As always, uh, if you're thinking about doing some team training and you'd like to run some training that your team is going to enjoy and jump in together and get on the same page about how to do things with, I'd love to help you. Check out uh, my courses. I have an angry client course and I have a exam room communication toolkit course. And both of them are meant to be done by groups together. Uh, head over to drandywork.com. I'll put links in the show notes. But man, I'd love to. I'd love for you to see what we do and how we do it. And I'd love to help you have a better practice. Anyway, gang, take care of yourselves. I'll talk to you soon.